morning, everybody. Turn to the person beside you and say, welcome to church. All right. Man, so good to see everybody. Thanks for being here on this great Sunday. Welcome home uh, to all of our students. We're so thankful for you. Um, we are in uh, on, on the tail end of a series, a very short series that, that we've done um, on church family and uh, why the church matters. And uh, Pastor Rick started this a couple of weeks ago, and basically he just talked a lot about vision and u- unity and just our church being together and all the stuff that um, that he believes God has spoken to our, our churches and and all of those great things, just a lot of vision. And then last week we talked about the importance of being together, of connecting, of living life with each other. And we challenged you to get involved in a life group. We had life group launch last week. A lot of you uh, signed up for that. Um, we had one group that uh, was brand new. We thought just, um, I mean, we didn't know what to expect. We had 50 people sign up for it. So that's not going to meet in a living room, obviously. Um, and then uh, today, I'm going to uh, challenge us with another big value that's part of our church, and that is serving. A lot of pastors can be nervous when we're talking about this topic because our culture is so prone to being served. And so when you start talking to people about the biblical principle of serving and what it means to give of themselves to this mission, to uh, Jesus' commission for us to be carriers of the gospel, for us to be involved in the local church, that, that the church is a body, all of different parts and all with different gifts given by the same spirit, and, and that all of us just kind of need to recognize what that gift is in our lives and then gift it back to the local church so that God can use it for the sole purpose of reaching the next person, okay? So everything that we do here at this church is so we can make more room at the table for the next person so that someone else can be invited to come and just hear the gospel. So you you can peel away all the layers of our campus, anything that we do that you think is good, and, and, and the point of everything that we do is so that you can continue to ask people to come join you at church so that they can hear and worship and feel the presence of God. So last week we talked about friendship and we used Acts 2.42 as a model for being to, together. I just want to recap that for a minute. This was such a great model and so I, I want to read it again. It's Acts 2.42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, so when they got together, they, they talked about God, they broke bread, they prayed, and they just, they, they just had friendship and fellowship. So today, I do want to talk about another uh, big area of our church, and I want to start with a watchword that, that we often use here, and it's this. We ask our members to serve one and attend one. And what I mean by that is we ask, since we have two services, we ask for people to find one service to serve in and then turn around and attend the next one and be a part of it so that you can worship and be fed and, 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 and so on. We have um, sometimes, and when, when we catch it, we stop it. We do have people who say, I love serving, and so all they do is come and serve. 
and they they end up disconnecting. They don't come in here. They they just love kids so much that, that they serve kids. And when we discover that, we stop it because both are important to our faith walk. So um, as, as I did last week, I used the example of giving and receiving. You're designed to do both. It's like inhaling and exhaling. And if you do just one, you'll die, and you'll die spiritually. If all you do is serve, if all you do is give and give and give and give, you will die a slow uh, spiritual death. But if all you do is receive and drink and drink and drink and take and take and take and receive being served, then you too will die spiritually. So that's why we have this watchword, serve one and attend one. The truth is that you can attend this church for the rest of your life and never help us do ministry. But we will never look down on you for that. No one's ever going to ask you. No one's going to confront you. No one's going to send you a, a letter or an email or a text. No one's going to be passive aggressive with you on why you aren't serving. However, I do want you to know one thing. I believe that you will not be content spiritually. I believe that when you don't serve, that, that there is some, there's a big question mark above your spirit like, what am I supposed to do here? I mean, am I just going to come for six months or for a year or while I'm, I'm at college? Or, or am, I, am I just going to be here and, and just like the, the, the service or come once a month? Or all of those things are things that we think about. But when we don't take this, the giftedness that the Holy Spirit has given us and use it to bless God's people, our soul is discontent. It's set uh, to un, being uneasy. One of the most revealing scriptures that I have found is in Matthew. And I want to just set it up by saying this. Peter is this guy that Jesus loves. We, we know that from the Gospels. I mean, he, he is one that he's very close to. He loves him a whole lot. He, he's got issues. He's like a lot of, of, of us. He's got rough edges. But he's loaded with potential and Jesus sees it. So he calls him out, and he begins to disciple him and lift him up. And as the story unfolds, I mean, Peter gets to participate in all, all of these miracles and see some amazing things. And in the end, Jesus gets arrested after they have broken bread and prayed and, and sang hymns. And they, they've had a great night of, of worship. And all of a sudden, the world falls apart for them. Jesus gets arrested, and Peter follows him through town as he's being drugged into town for, for his hearing. And I want to point out one verse. It's found in Matthew 26, 58, and it says this. And Peter followed him, being Jesus, at a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. Now, you can read the context of this later and see that Peter was following at a distance out of fear. That he was wondering, am I going to be arrested as well? Am I going to be tortured? Am I going to be killed? And so he's following just close enough where he can see the action, but not so close that he gets identified as being one, which he ends up doing. But what I want to do is drag that out of context for just a moment and just apply it as Peter followed at a distance. And I think a lot of us do the same thing. 
we follow Christ from a distance because we have a lot of fear as well. We fear that, that what if I get too close and you end up calling me into full-time ministry? What if I get too close and you end up calling me to be a missionary? I don't want to be a missionary. I want to, I want to eat cheeseburgers when I want to eat cheeseburgers. And I, I, I know I've heard all of these missionary stories. God, I don't want to be a missionary. Or we say, you know, if, if I get too close or if I start to worship or maybe if I feel the presence of God and I, and I cry, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose the, the, the idea that people have of me. And we have a lot of fear. God, I don't know because I, I, I'm not good enough to be used by you. And, and so I have a lot of fear. And so a lot of times we come to church and we settle for being served the same way that we want to be served in our, our culture. Our culture is the worst at wanting a five-star experience. We want every, everybody to treat us well. We want everybody to open the door. We want everyone to tell us how great we are. We, we, we want, uh, I mean, turn down service on all of it. And then we come to church and we want the same thing. But I clearly see in Scripture that Jesus' teaching is for us to flip it and serve other people. It was, it was a deep passion of his to say, take your life and wring it out for the goodness and the sake of the gospel so that people can see your life and see your giftedness and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of it. So let me start with this. Time is an economy. And like money, you only have so much of it. So you will have to budget your time just like you do your finance. You will use your time in the following ways. And I, this is where I want to spend the majority of my time this morning. The first way that we can spend our time is to waste it. To just waste it. Just like you would money. Just waste it. My daughter right now is, is in a phase of just wasting money. She's 11 years old, 6th grade. You give her five bucks, it's, it's on fire. It's like she can't even hold it. She's got to go spend it. i got, I got to find something. And the bad part is, is that she wants you to always add to it. So she'll find something that I got five bucks, but this is 50. Can you, can you give me 45? You know, it's not even close. You know, if it was a dollar, yeah, but $45, you know. Five seconds later and her batting her eyelashes, I'm digging in my, my wall. Okay, $45 sounds fair. You know, just wasting it. Uh, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid how bored you got sometimes. We just come out of summer and our kid got bored. Okay, now she is an only child. I will give her that. So if you aren't her playmate, she doesn't have any. And so she gets bored. She gets bored of, uh, of trying to put the craft or playing on the computer or watching something or going outside or just, just bored. And my mother-in-law is famous around our house for saying, bored people are boring people. That was her, her response to Robbie growing up. As a kid, you know, we had the whole summer off, and we just wasted away. I mean, we slept in until we wanted to get up. We ate all day long. There wasn't a meal time. You just ate, period. We never ironed anything. We just threw on whatever we found. And sometimes it was the clothes that was on the floor from yesterday. Just wasting away. Most of you grew up without Facebook. 
So when you're bored, I mean, you, you had nothing to post, nothing to like, no selfie to take, no opinions to pitch to the masses. Matter of fact, the only phone most of you had as kids was called a walkie-talkie, okay, and required batteries. As adults, we can still waste away if we let ourselves. We sometimes and many times too often become snared by addiction, or we isolate ourselves to the point of being depressed. Or we believe all the lies that anyone has ever said about us. And we whittle away to an existence of bones and excuses. There's many, many ways, and I don't want to spend my time on this, but many, many ways, even as an adult, where we can just waste, waste our whole time. The second thing that we can do with our, our time is spend it. You can spend your time doing a lot of stuff. And you can even spend your time doing a lot of life that is necessary. We spend our time washing clothes. How many of you hate washing clothes? Okay, it was four of you. The rest of you are lying about that. <laughs> we unload the dishwasher. We mow yards. We raise kids. We pay bills. We prep meals. We have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, college game day, and then church. And then we start over on Monday, spending our lives the same way that we did last week and the week before it and the week before it. Because we have to spend a lot of time in our budget keeping the wheels greased keeping things moving forward. And so, realistically, we're doing it out of the necessity of our family. We do it to keep our family in motion. I mean, can you imagine if tomorrow morning we, we boycotted doing the laundry? I'm not going to do it anymore. And I'm not doing it for any of y'all either. So we're just going to wear dirty clothes or none at all. I'm done. I'm done with laundry. Imagine if you told your seven-year-old, if you don't pack your own lunch, you're not going to have any because I'm done. I'm done packing lunch. I'm going to spend my time doing something else. I'm done cleaning this house. We're going to go ahead and sign up for an episode of Hoarders. I'm done. It's not going to happen anymore. But there has to be more to life than just doing stuff, right? I mean, there has to be. There's got to be more involved in, in our purpose and in our, our creation, then having to spend a lot of our time budget just going into the next day and then the next one, on and on and on and on. See, the downside of just spending our lives is one day we wake up and we're 80 and we wonder, how did we get here? Because all we've done is spend our time. I don't even know how I got here. I mean, it seems like I've got, it's been Groundhog Day. I've just, I've done the same thing every day, every day, every day, over and over and over with the same outcome and the same people and the same experience over. And that's all I've done is just spend my life. And so that leads me to my third and the most important point that I can make as a pastor this morning is this. You can take some time and you can invest it. Okay. Now, obviously, we have to spend our time. We do have to do things and take responsibility with, it with our family. And that's just being a good parent. That's called adulting. 
We just do it. And we smile about it. And we have a good spirit about it. But there needs to be a portion of your life that you give to God. That you give to his kingdom, to his mission. It's just not enough to just pray a prayer of dedication and devotion of our life to God and be baptized and follow Christ and read about him and then never, ever serve. To never do anything for the the kingdom. To not make a contribution to the greatest story of love that any of us know that a man gave his life for his friends. Last week we started with Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, and it, it was that meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And I want to give you some context here because this is coming from what scholars believe is the author to be Solomon, a very wealthy man, a man who God came to and said, listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to wish for one thing. Okay? And Solomon didn't understand at that time what he needed to do was wish for more wishes. Some of y'all will get that going home. So Solomon says, what I want is wisdom. i got all these people. I've inherited my dad's mess. And and, and what I want to do is move forward with a a clean slate. And I want to do some great things. And I want your hand on me. And Lord, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what I'm doing here. So what I need to know is what to do in the right spot. And God was so blown away by the heart of Solomon that he blessed him financially. He said, because you've asked for something that's so wise... And so beyond what I thought you were going to do, I'm, I'm going to just bless you in every area. So this is a guy who on paper has no reason to look at the world and say, meaningless, meaningless, all of this is meaningless. I mean, you, you, you got to imagine, okay, a guy, and I'm going to get to this in just a second, but scholars now be, believe that Solomon was worth, in our day, would be to approximate $880 billion. And so this is a guy that a lot of us would go, what does a guy with $880 billion have to worry about? I mean, he, he's got a person to do everything, All that stuff that we talk about spending our lives, Solomon had somebody to do it for him. I need you to make some food. I need you to clean this place up. I need you to run some errands. I need you to go shop for me. I need you to take care of all all those kids. I need you to rub my back. I need you to clean my toenails. I need you to do all all, all these things. Whatever it was, he had a person for it, okay? So he's got $880 billion, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. And then it hit me. That one of the problems he had, I mean, it could have been midlife crisis, but one of the problems is that he was so depressed about is that this dude had 700 wives. So from his balcony, the weight of 700 women, this statement came meaningless. My God, it's all meaningless. And God finally, you, you watch, it's very com- comical. God shows up and he's like, Solomon, I don't know if you've counted recently, but um, you got 700 wives and 300 concubines. And, and, and so I think you're a little distracted. And I need you to come back on track and be the king that you used to be, okay? And, and so he challenges him, man, you got to clean all this mess up, okay? And I, th- I think that maybe meaningless, meaningless was directly connected to the fact that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Because I think he had a little bit of worry 
I mean, I'm going to assume that there was no prenuptial agreement. And if all 700 wives divorced him and each wife was awarded half of his assets, after 52 divorces, he would be left with nothing. God, y'all are dry this morning, okay? Or, or, or trying to do the math or something. I don't know, okay? We're talking only the first 52 got a piece of the $880 billion. The, the, the first wife was the smartest one. So she's like, okay, really? I, I get half. I'm not waiting on those 699 to make this joke. I'm out, okay? For those of you who don't read your Bible, I just made all that up, okay? I don't want you leaving here thinking I made every bit of that up, okay? Here's the point. Solomon may have felt like everything was meaningless because at this time in his life, he was just spending it. He's juggling stuff, responsibilities, making choices. And the next day, he felt the same way. I'm making choices. It's the same choice, different scenario, over and over and over and over. I got all the people in the right places. I got all the money in the right places. There's no one above me except God. I am so bored with what's going on with my life. Why? Because he's just spending it. He's just growing old, doing the same thing over and over and over. And the emotional construct and connection of that is no different than you and I. Yes, he may have been a billionaire, but it doesn't matter. It's the same emotion. Life is meaningless when we're not investing it. When we are so caught up in spending our lives, we hang a do not disturb sign over our lives. And so we come to church and we, we see things like life group, sign up, get connected. No, 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 don't, don't disturb me. I'm just spending my life. I'm just going, I'm spending it. Or we come in and, you know, we hear something like, like this, a challenge to recognize your gift and your contribution to the local church and give it. No, no, do, do not disturb. I mean, you, you do not know, okay, and here's where it comes in. We start making excuses about it. You do not know what my life is like. So don't disturb me right now. Okay, all I want to do is, is come and, and listen and participate and I don't want to do anything for anybody else. For how long? For how long? Because from what I read in Scripture, the human condition until Jesus comes or you die is going to be loaded with problems. So it means this. We have to have the maturation to be able to have a personal problem and still serve somebody. We got to be able to have our own issue and still love another person or else we're just going to come and want New Life Church to give us five-star treatment. Do not disturb me. Some of us have got to take this off of our life and realize that the church needs that gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. The church needs your personality. The church needs your work ethic. The church needs the way you think. The church needs the way that, that you see things, and we need to take you and plug you into the right spot. Why? 
because you need to invest your life. Ecclesiastes 11.4 tells us this. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Okay? You'll never get anything done. Romans 14 and 18 says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Okay? For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by, by, by men. When I serve the mission of Christ, it's acceptable to God. And it's approved by men. We talked earlier about Peter following Christ from a distance. And when Jesus reaches out to him after his denial, they had a conversation that reinstated Peter. And you can find that in John chapter 21 and verse 15. I just want to read this one part. It says, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answers the same every time. Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus answers the same way every time, then feed my sheep. And then he goes on and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. I really think Jesus is still asking this question. Do you love him? Then feed his sheep. Do you love him? Then take care of his people. If you love him, take care of his people. If you love him, serve his people. If you love him, be faithful to his people. Because it, his heart is completely enveloped by the people who are in this room this morning. Do you know that? He doesn't care about anything else except you. Except people. It's where his heart is. 100% with people. And when we get involved in that mission... Favor gets on our lives that we couldn't run off because God uses us to do something. We feed his sheep. We take care of it. Listen, since it's so close to football season, I'm going to use a football example. Every great team has a quarterback, and quarterbacks are great. And listen, if you just put a quarterback on the, the field, yes, there's the occasional moment where maybe he could avoid the entire defense and weave and run around everybody and, and, and speed pass and score. Maybe, on occasion, do that by himself. But a quarterback is great, not because he's got the ultimate skill set, but a quarterback is great because he knows how to implement a team and move an entire team. And so you can't look at anybody uh, in, in, in leadership at this church and say having them is enough for us. No, no, no. Because you can have the greatest of quarterbacks and lose. It's got to be a team effort. Listen, if we're going to reach this city, I can't do it. It's got to take all of us to do something great in this community. If we want New Life Church to do something different in Searcy and cast a broader net than we've ever cast, it cannot be done by your staff. It's got to be done by our whole church. you got to have a team to be great. Listen, David Bunting, he's a great quarterback. We tried for years to get him to try out for American Idol. I'm not kidding. I even told him several times, if you'll go, I'll pay for it. And he would say, I'm not good enough. I'm like, yeah, yes, you are. And the next year, 
hey, man, listen, you need to try out for American Idol. I'm not good enough. I'm too fat. And since I have a gift of encouragement, I, I told him, there are a ton of great singers who are fat. And now he's lost 70 pounds. Come on, y'all. That's right. He's walking around going, who's fat now? I couldn't even see him this morning. His guitar is bigger than he is. It's like a head with a beard and a guitar. It's really weird. David's good at leading our church in worship, not because of his quarterbacking ability. It's because he's smart enough to know that he's got to have a team. The the Richardsons, they are the people who run our blends. They are great quarterbacks. They truly value you having coffee on Sunday. They make sure that we have all the items we need in stock. They come up on Saturday to do final prep. They make sure all the little add-ons are just the way that you want them, but they don't do it alone. they got to have a team. They gotta have people. You didn't, you didn't pull up this morning to see one guy park in a car. You gotta have people. If you go back here and watch our kids' team this morning, it's dozens of people back here who make a service work. Glenn Novak, he's a great quarterback. He understands that all he understands all of these systems that you do not see. Matter of fact, the reason you don't see all of the wires and the cables. And the stuff is because he's such a good quarterback. There's so much involved in making a service have lighting and sound and video, but he doesn't do it by himself. He has a team. All of us get this, that we've got to have you involved in the ministry of the church or we can't go to the next level of church. you got to have people. I say this often. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. So I want you to just hear hear my heart for a minute. But I learned a long time ago in pastoring is this. Myself, I can only put a personal touch of pastoring on about 100 people. I can only stay in contact with 100 people at at a time. It it may be 100 different people, but it's only going to be about 100 people that I can get involved on calls and texting and hanging out and eating with and discipling and, 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 and teaching and walking through stuff and counseling. It's, it's only 100 people. After that, I'm, I'm too thin. So we got to have people. That's why we have life groups. So that people in life groups can help go to hospitals and counsel people and, and congratulate people who are having babies. It's because people are serving and getting involved. It's important. we got to have it. Mother Teresa, one of her greatest quotes, says this. We all long for heaven where God is, she says. But we have it in our power to be in heaven with him now. To be happy with him at this very moment. For being happy in his presence means loving as he loves. Helping as he helps. Giving as he gives. Serving as he serves rescuing as he rescues because we touch him when we touch other people. She was also asked, Mother Teresa, how, how do you do it? How do you, how do you go into the masses and everybody, everybody wants you? Everybody wants to, to have the conversation with you. Everybody wants you to pray over them. 
all of these children want you to hold them personally? How do you, how do you manage knowing that you did not get your hand on everybody in this crowd who wanted a personal touch from you today? And she made the greatest, greatest quote ever. If you walk away with one thing, walk away with this this morning. She said this, I do for one what I wish I could do for all. I do for one what I wish I could do for all. This could be a mantra of our church. You know, because some of you, you say, Kevin, I could never stand on the stage. I could never play anything. I could never be in a spotlight. I could never talk to people. We can find something for you that if you'll just do it for one person, it makes a big difference. Just do for the one what we wish we could do for all. Okay, take off your do not disturb sign. Do not fear in this. So let me ask you something. I'm going to close with this. Do you know the name of the person that helped you park today? Do you know who's teaching your children right now? Do you know the names of the worship team that led today? Do you know the names of the people who pray for every service that we have? Do you know the names of the people who control audio lighting and projection for us? Do you know who stocked the restroom today with paper products before you got here? Do you know who measured the distance between each row of chairs before you got here? Do you know the name of the person who took a lint roller and went over every single chair in this building? Do you know the name of the person who serves online by updating our community about our church using social media? Do you know the name of the person who greeted you today and handed you a note? Do you know the name of the person who made the coffee and cleaned up the spill? Do you know the names of those who keep us accountable of every cent in our finance department? Do you know the lay pastors of every department who keep a hand on our pastoral care? Do you know the name of that person who assembles and disassembles our baptistry? Do you know the names of those who quietly provide security, who walk our hallways and protect our kiddos, ready to deal with any kind of trouble that could arise? Do you know who designs graphics and maintains websites and solves technical problems? Do you know the names of the person who serves in real life and in 412? God does. And all of these to us are anonymous volunteers, but God knows every single name of the people who make all of this work. And this is why church matters. It matters because four or five people can't reach a city. But you put a thousand of us together who want to serve and be a family and are all in and are committed to to, to the vision, we'll do things together that you never dreamed of. Because God will favor it. Because we're on mission. We're on point with him. Everything all of these people do that we mentioned just, just a moment ago is significant. And I'm glad that they all decided to serve this church. And you are too. You are too. When John Maxwell was pastoring, he started his membership class by saying this. If you're joining this church, the first thing that's going to go is your parking spot. Because you can no longer park in visitor parking. That's what he said. It's a great point to make. And metaphorically today, some of you need to give up your parking spot. It's time. It's just time. 
He's tried to calculate all of the reasons of everything that's going on in your life and why you can't do it. I'm not asking you to, to come up here and put in 60 hours. I'm asking you to get with the Holy Spirit to discover what gift it is and give it back to God. That's it. So here's my, my big challenge, then I, I'm, I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to make a bold ask this morning, and I rarely do this. I'd say maybe one to two times a year. But this is, is the bold ask I'm going to do, and then I'm going to pray. If you're a member of this church, if you've crossed that line in your mind, and this is the place that you want your family to be and your kids to grow up, I'm going to ask you to serve two Sundays a month here. You've got eight services to choose from, and I'm going to ask you to serve two of them, to pray about it with, with your family. Why? Because I think it's important, and I think I'm not pastoring you well unless I tell you to stop spending your life and make an investment in the kingdom. When people get to their, their deathbed, and I've seen a lot of it, and I'm still a young man, I know I'm going to see a lot of this. But when people come to, to, to the end, do you know what they want? They, they, they don't want to see their financial statement and go, wow, I did it. You know, I, I made it. That's a great number that I accomplished. No. They, they, they don't say, pick me up and go take me out to that car that I love and just let me sit in those seats one more time. They don't do that. They start asking for people who they love. Go get my son. Tell him I want to see him. Has my daughter made it yet? Tell, tell, tell my daughter to come in here. They squeeze each other tighter. They, why? Because when it all boils down, when, when we forget about the spending of life, we really get that the best investment is made in people. And that's what the story of Jesus is trying to tell us. The most important way you'll ever spend your life is to invest it into people and them living their lives for Jesus Christ. Because when we get to heaven together, guys, it, it won't matter. It won't matter. At that point, the burden's gone. The weight is over. But we'll care about the investments that we made. Let me pray over your life today. God, I thank you for every single person in this.